The first thing I would say is just you can't stop trying and you can't give up. The rush that you get from performing, the feeling of just being on stage and being able to fly around as a job, like that's what I love to do. I love to be in the air. You know, it's not always rainbows and sunshine, but for the most part it is. And as long as like the pros outweigh the cons, then you're winning. Hello, and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast, sponsored by Harlequin Floors, the world leader in floors, stage systems, and studio equipment for the performing arts. Our podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb. And my name is Anna Aguilera. Elisa Tauro is joining us today to share with us what it's like to be an acrobat and a trapeze artist. Elisa is currently performing in Las Vegas with one of Cirque du Soleil's most prestigious shows, O. As a competitive gymnast and trampolinist, her talent was recognised at a young age and she became the first competitor to move from club to national level competitions, skipping provincials completely. At the age of six, she tried the flying trapeze for the first time and immediately fell in love. Elisa has had the opportunity to live and perform all over the world, including the United States, Europe and Dubai. She speaks multiple languages, and in addition to performing, Elisa is an avid snowboarder, water skier, and also a lover of food, and started a YouTube channel, Cooking and Baking with Her Mother, during the pandemic. Elisa, welcome to Theatre Art Life. Thank you. Happy to be here. I always start with people who are in performance who go from gymnast to performing, and I always ask the question, like, what was a transition going from, like, a gymnast to a performer in a show like, and when was that, and how did that happen? I started with gymnastics and that's how I got into everything. But I quit when I was, I think, 10 years old. So I started, I did it for only five years. So it just kind of set the base and everything. Uh, my mom took me out of gymnastics because it was just too demanding. And I was spending more time at the gym than at home. And I wasn't that, I liked it, but I wasn't, it wasn't my dream and I didn't love it. And I was um, missing too many family dinners because food is a big, <laughs> meals together is a big thing in my family. And so I don't think I've had the same experience as other gymnasts switching into performing, but I did a bunch of multi- a bunch of different sports like trampoline, a bit of diving, and I started circus at a young age. And so the transition from competitor to performer wasn't so like extreme. How is it like to be on a trapeze when you're six? That's so fun. It was the best thing ever. I was on vacation with my family in Club Med. And um, I think six was the youngest age that you could do it. And I went up there and just loved it. I think my parents tell me that's when they knew I would be a performer or I would be in the circus because they, they used to put on shows in the resort. And we, I went up, I did the show and I was allowed to do the show. I came down, like ran over to my parents and I was like, that was so much fun. I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> and I actually still have that feeling now when I perform, luckily. So I know I'm doing the right thing because I'll still come down from an act and be like, oh, that was great. Like, can't wait to do it again. Where are you from originally? Toronto, Canada. Right. Toronto. I get... My grandma gets really mad at me when I don't pronounce the T's. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no one from Toronto actually says it, though. So Yeah. 
And so how long have you been performing in O? I actually just passed my one-year anniversary. I joined after the pandemic. (laughs) I joined after the pandemic. Yeah, so it's been a year and it has had a lot of challenging moments, a lot of fun. It's it's been a roller coaster, (laughs) but uh, it's been great. And fortunately enough, like I can say it's my dream come true. Like this, the act that I do, I do bateau in, um, oh, like the swinging cradle. And that's the one act I've always wanted to do. So to be here is just the best thing ever. And tell us a little bit about the integration process from like rocking up at O to ending up in the show. What, what, how long is that? What's the tra- build up for it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was very Just get fast. up there and do it, girl. <laughs> Just go. <laughs> well, especially it was a bit different for me because I the day I arrived was the day that O reopened. So everyone had already been training for the last two or three months. And then I came. And I was alone. So I kind of did my integration process when like the show was already going on. It was also an in, like interesting and challenging coming into a show like that from the pandemic when you're not exactly in, you're not in training mode, you're not in show shape. And as much as we can all train and exercise on our own in the gym, it's just completely different training, circus training. Uh, so it was really hard. and. Um, it was fun. And you're also, you put a lot of pressure on yourself that you want to get in like as fast as you can. And, um, but they were really great with not putting any pressure on me and just saying, okay, take your time. If you're not ready, we don't put you in. You have to be comfortable if you're nervous, if this is going too fast. So it was, it was really well balanced where you want to push yourself and get in, but you also have to be confident in what you're doing and well-trained before you just start throwing it in shows. And then it's, it's also just, you don't just go in and then you're, you're set, you're in the show. It's, it's a building process. So my first show, I think I just did choreography on the boat just to get used to it in show lights, show conditions. And then the, the week after we were doing one pass and then it's like building up. And then finally, after, I think it was a few months, maybe two or three months, I was finally fully immersed in the act and doing all the parts. But even now it's been a year and I'm still, it's, it's the learning curve process of it's a roller coaster. So some days it's like, Oh, I got this. I'm doing it. And then the next day I'll go into shows. I don't make a big mistake and I get frustrated. And then I'm constantly reminded from my, we have a great team and they'll remind me, Lisa, like, it's you're still learning it's normal to you know make mistakes and so do you still like finish the show and you say looks good I love it so first show and the time between first show and second show is like your favorite time because you get to do it all over again (laughs) no I'd say right before the act is when it's the most exciting in between shows we're just sitting in the dressing room talking and snacking and hanging out and then you remember oh wait we got another show to do Okay, let's get let's get warmed up again. <laughs> but I still get the jitters before our act, like every time, like right before. How much, like when you're doing those sort of acrobatic aspects of it, how much is it like 
because you're performing in front of an audience and it's not just about the, the, the acrobatics, it's about the characters and the show, like how much sort of embodiment of character and acting is in is in the show with you for but maybe particularly in that act is it how does that work for you well <laughs> this act in particular is i feel like i was made to do this act because it is such a you are okay so we're basically these pirates kind of lost at sea and um, you wake up when the music starts and then it's a big fight and you're like the boat's moving and people are flying off. And I'm a very loud person by nature and a bit like <laughs> extroverted, if you will. And so in the boat, when you're getting into character, as the act starts to progress, you get to start yelling and you start yelling at each other and yelling, just creating this like big scene. And it actually helps Sometimes when you are a bit nervous or you do a trick and you can just yell after it and just like let it out. So the first show I did, I was definitely shy and I didn't know everyone's yelling these things. and I don't know what to yell. Like what words am I going to use? And I was focused on that and not the act, but it's the best feeling when you can, when you can play with your, your team and you really feel together and then you can feel the audience as well building on when we start to yell louder, you can hear them kind of clap more there. It's just the energy. It's very high energy act. And I think it helps sometimes when you can just let it all out too. And it helps you just, yeah, it's fun. It's a beautiful act. And uh, I've seen it a couple of times. So uh, it's, it's always one of the highlights of the show. I think that, that act. Oh, yay. <laughs> yeah. <it's- laughs> I love it. I'm like the number one fan for this act. <laughs> I think well, it's that's so good much because, fun to do. I mean, if, if, if you're, I think passion and intention and enjoyment is something that when you're in, in that, if, you, if you're not in stage and loving it, then that's the audience feel that, right? So exactly. you've got to be 100% in when you're, when you're on stage for the 2,000 yeah. people watching every time, you know? So right. it's good. <laughs> And you know what? It it helps having a really good team. And the in the year that I've been here, we've just gotten closer and closer. Even off stage, you know, for something like this, it takes so much trust with with your partner, with people. There's so much going on where little details like you have to open the parallel bars when the guy's swinging through, or you have to make sure the boat is at the right height. Like there's so much. And so even before the act, every act, we all do a little high five with each other. And we all say something personal to that person that you just repeat every day. So you have one word or one just kind of saying. And so before we all get on the boat, we all like do like a high five in a line, go through each other. And it's just kind of, all right, we're all in this together. Let's go do this act together. So that also makes it that much better and more connected. I don't think we often talk about it we just assume it but the level of trust we have there, like or sometimes we'll talk about it but just some passing like yes we have a lot of trust but like how do we build that how do we work it out when it doesn't work with the team how how do you what does it take for you to I don't know how high you are on on, on when you're on bateau but like to be doing all and have to trust your technical team and your creative team and then your, the team you work with yeah, it's an interesting 
process because you just, if you don't have the trust, you, you just won't do it or you just won't, it won't be smooth. It won't connect. And I think that when you're going into it, you, I think everyone realizes you have to establish a certain level of trust before you can even start training. Like that has to be there. And that's why getting to know each other, you know, not only on the structure, but like during training and getting to know each other as people and, and the trust builds though, as well, the more you work with someone, the more you trust them, or maybe the more you don't. And then you realize this isn't a good fit because that's possible. Sometimes it's, you're not in this act in particular, you don't necessarily choose your partners because it's a big group act. So it's not like we're building, like we're a duo and you find each other and you need to have that connection. When it's um, a big team, sometimes if someone's out, you have to switch with this person and you're not just always with the same person. So the whole, I don't only have trust with my one porter that I work with. Like I don't do all my tricks with everyone else, but you know, if someone's out, you have to move this side, you have to go here. And I think communication is one of the biggest keys to trust is that everyone needs to communicate with each other. How are you feeling? How was that? And also the trust that you can speak openly with your team and not, not be scared that they're going to judge you or maybe, you know, shut you down completely because um, a lot of times there is always this thing with the porter and the flyer and the flyers always think that the porters blame them for this. And it's like, that's just part of it. But yeah, I think communication is the biggest thing in building trust and just being open and honest. And yeah. And also knowing that mistakes happen and sometimes they will drop you or sometimes you will catch the wrong way or not so good. And you might hurt yourself, but that's part of the job. So yeah. yeah. So, so on that, like, what is your approach to maintaining yourself physically knowing that you're so consistently performing and that's such a different mentality than say somebody who prepares for the Olympics where they have a particularly training regime to compete for that one day and performing is just completely different because it's consistency right full time yeah yeah so what's your approach then personally in terms of what uh, obviously you train the act and you train that but outside Mm -hmm. that what is what is your injury prevention schedule (laughs) well I gotta say it definitely changes as you get older Mm -hmm. (laughs) because 10 years ago there was no sort of injury prevention I would just rock up to work not even I don't even know if I would do a warm-up I would just like yeah just throw it do it do it (laughs) whatever no wind down no warm-up and like I didn't even do that much conditioning and now I've had quite a few quite a few like every acrobat, you've had like a fair amount of in, uh, injuries. I did hurt myself on, well, I had shoulder surgery a few years ago. And that was the one that really, <laughs> that was the one that I really realized, okay, you need to do a lot more. And it's not just the rehab after it's realizing that you need to do a lot of injury prevention exercises so that something like this won't happen, happen again. And a lot of it is just looking at what sport, like what body part you're using the most in your act, for example, like it's for us, it's a lot of shoulders and core. And the best way to prevent an injury is just to keep all of that as strong as possible, but not just with like 
lifting heavy weights. It's doing like the little exercises, like the really tedious, annoying ones that no one likes to do, but grabbing that elastic band every day and just, and just making it part of your just daily routine. Because I know now that I had, I had a back injury and if my core is not strong, even from a few days of not conditioning, I'll feel my back. And now I just realized the only way that I can continue as a performer in my job relatively pain-free is if I do a certain amount of conditioning every day just to warm up your body and keep those muscles like so they're always firing. And yeah, a lot of it is just being disciplined to do something every day and not waiting till it starts to hurt before you um, address the issue. I always find it fascinating, like uh, acrobats and gymnasts, is the approach to working with pain. You know, because I think that yeah. you, you, as even as a gymnast or whatever like that, you you're working through, and it's such a like you've got to realize how different that is than most people on a day to day life, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. we're uh, yeah an interesting bunch of people because um, even you just kind of it's an acceptance that this will hurt and this is going to hurt. Not even, it can be a little bit of an issue when people try and push through injuries because that's also part of our industry is if you're injured, you're not working and then you'll get maybe restricted from your show or you can't do this act. So a lot of people sometimes tend to not address the pain that they're feeling until it gets to be a serious injury. and then you're out for who knows how many months, but just aside from the injuries, a lot of times like your act in general just hurts your body. Like at the moment, I know this is a podcast, I've got giant like blisters on my wrists, like ripped calluses just from repetitive. I'll have a, I'll have a blister. It rips open and then I'm still training and my partner is grabbing that open blister, which hurts so much, but you just, kind of put that pain somewhere else and just work through it and then eventually it'll heal and you'll be like oh this is great and then it happens all over again okay here we go <laughs> but yeah you uh really learn how to manage your pain levels and now a moment for our sponsor the theater art life podcast is proud to be sponsored by harlequin Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems and studio equipment for the performing arts. Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools. From the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high-quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N floors.com. How is it like for a performer when you get or to find that point when it hurts and then, but it's quote unquote normal, it hurts, is no longer normal, but I can push through, should I, should I not? And then 
you're out? Well, everyone is different and everyone, everyone deals with their injuries in a different way. And sometimes there is a bit of like, there's two sides. It'll be like the coaching side and the physio side, like the med where they want to know every single, like, like, are you feeling pain today? Is this hurting? Is this hurting? And you know, well, if I say that this is hurting, then it'll start, but you know yourself, Kate, is this pain? It's more how much it affects your work and your life. Like, is it hurting in the act or is it hurting after, or are you waking up in the morning and you can't get out of bed kind of thing? Is it a constant pain? Is it only when you do certain movements? So there's so much going into it. And a lot of times when you, in the beginning, if you catch something like, for example, your shoulder's starting to hurt. If you go get a massage, you realize, okay, it's sore because this muscle is too tight because I overworked it. So you can fix it. If you can just work through the pain for a little bit and do your own rehab, do your own exercises and get a massage or something, then it'll go away. But if the pain is just progressively getting worse and your, your performance is decreasing, then there's that point then where you're in trouble. then you're in trouble and you need to make a decision, <laughs> but everyone just Everyone handles it differently. And I think depending on your background as well, because people in like in performance and performing, they come from all different types of backgrounds, some gymnasts, like old school circus, or they mm-hmm. taught self-taught, like, or they're a professional athlete in another um, sport. Mm-hmm. It's all, you could see how people were raised to deal with pain and how they deal with it. Because a lot of sports play, okay, suck it up. A lot of, Or some people be like, no, second I feel pain, I stop. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's super interesting. Mm -hmm. So you you speak multiple languages. What languages do you speak? Try to. (laughs) I speak um, French and Italian, and then that makes three. That makes three. English, got English. (laughs) Got that. Canadian English too. I get called out all the time in the States here. Really? I never knew like what a Canadian accent really was. And then I'll just say a, and I <laughs> hey, Canadian, yeah. and they gotcha. And they've gotcha. Oh yeah. Right away. <laughs> so working for Cirque du Soleil, you'd have a little bit of ability to practice French or with some, some French people in the company. Yeah. Yeah. It's, this is what I love about working on a big team with so many international performers is you, first of all, you're hearing different languages all the time. It's not just English and um, people are from all over the world. So yeah, you can practice French. There's a lot of Russian in our show. And then you can always just learn a new language and pick up on a new language. If your whole team is speaking, my very first job, I started to understand Portuguese because my whole team, they were all from Brazil. And so all day, all night, I was listening to Portuguese, Portuguese, Portuguese until finally I'm like, okay, well, if I don't figure out how to understand I'm not going to be able to join into the conversation or know when they're talking about me or not. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, I love working with a cast from all over the world and you can, and my, um, one of the girls on the boat with me, she's French Canadian. So we get to, I've been able to practice my French and not uh, lose it. Mm. It's very easy to lose a language if you're not practicing. So it's good here. I get to practice all of them. (laughs) So Italian, your family is Italian? 
Yeah. <laughs> my, well, work, my family, my parents were born in Canada, but um, the rest of my family was born in Italy. Yeah, we really, we're the kind of stereotypical Italian family in the sense that all we do is eat. <laughs> and like, <laughs> that's just part of our, uh, like, just life. Is this is where your really love for food part. comes from, basically. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> this is the hard part about being a flyer, is that like, I wish I could be a porter and just eat everything. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> that's the thing. Every time, like whenever I'm planning a, a trip home to go visit my family, the first thing my mom asks me is like, okay, what do you want for dinner the first night? Like, what have you been craving? What do you miss? <laughs> so yeah, they, my parents didn't really teach me Italian. They, they both speak Italian, but we, I learned, I studied Italian in school. So that that's the one language that I speak that I actually had proper formal training. I mean, we learned French in school in Canada, but up until you're like in, I think, grade, like in high school, but from high from like high school French, all I remember is, hello, what's your name? Where's yeah. the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> but then you ended up in Italian TV. I did actually. And that was a really fun project to do during the pandemic. What was that about? Well, it just, I got a private message on Instagram of some guy that was looking for pe- contestants to join this kind of a Italy's Got Talent show. And um, I'd never heard of it. And then I called, I have some cousins in Italy and I called them because I wasn't sure if this, if it was, it was real legit. or not. If it's like, <laughs> is this legit? Is this real? I don't know. And I called my cousin, like, have you guys heard of Tusike Vallis? Like, what? Yeah, we watched. It's like a huge show there. And um, they ended up asking me if I could do an act, which I hadn't done in years. Like, can you do bungee trapeze? I mean, I'm not going to say no, because it was the pandemic and I wasn't doing anything and I wouldn't turn down an opportunity to go to Italy. So I'm like, yeah, I can do it. So I had a few weeks to put together an act. I got to go to Italy in June or July 2020, which was, it was such a weird time with, COVID and traveling and it must have been intense. It was. It was very stressful. And, <laughs> um, yeah, for many Italy reasons. was really bad. Like it was one of the worst places with COVID. It for was, a while, and it was a lockdown, and yeah. it was crazy. And then when I went back, they were still things had started to open up, but just yeah, wearing masks. Yeah, we just had to get. It was just testing was always like an issue for traveling, which it kind of still is a problem. Like you have to get tested before you go here. But all the food made up for it when I was there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But it was a great experience. Uh, The only issue was you have to talk to the judges and they're obviously all Italian. And so they asked me if you wanted a translator or not. And I said, I wasn't sure. So I took the translator, but because I was so nervous and I was like, well, if I'm focused on my act and then I finish the act and they start talking to me, so I don't really get something, I don't know. So I had a translator, but then it ended up just being worse because they, the judges would talk to me and I'd be trying to understand them in Italian. And then I'd have the translator speaking English in my ear and I had to eventually decide, okay, listen to one or the other. Cause when you just have like two people like speaking to you at the same time, I just took a second to wait, what are they saying? Okay. That's, <laughs> and then I spoke in it. <laughs> So yeah, you but you spoke back in Italian. I did speak back in Italian, and my my dad was very like adamant about being. He said, "Make sure you mention like 
our hometown, like in the south of Italy. Like, <laughs> he's so pr- he's like the most like proud Italian kind he's of like, like make sure to- uh, you need to plug this. This has got to get on oh, stage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> and then it was fun because then my family messaged me like, "We heard you. We saw you." Yeah, that is super fun. So it wasn't like it was a great experience. I get two questions. One, like, what would be your advice to somebody who aspires to work for shows like Cirque du Soleil in terms of getting into and and getting the exposure, but also the training? And then also the second question is, like, beyond that, what would your other, if Bateau is your dream job, what else would you, what's your next step and what where would you want to go after yeah. that? So Right. Yeah. Well, for people getting into it, the first thing I would say is just, you can't stop trying and you can't give up because it took me 11 years of performing to finally get into Cirque. And I had to do all of the jobs that you don't really want to do or the hard jobs that aren't as glamorous or as fun, which will give you the experience and some of the life lessons you need to learn that will prepare you for when you do finally get your dream job. And yeah, that's it is just, you keep trying and you take the jobs. If an opportunity arises, take it. And you can always uh, learn from like anything you do. And you'll always, even though not every job you're going to do is going to be great or fun, or you might not, you might hate it, but you'll still learn. Okay. Did that. I don't like that. Yeah. So it's just a learning experience and just try and take something away from every job that you do. Yeah. You can't give up. Because one day when you maybe think your career is over, you might get a call and you just got to get ready to jump on it. And yeah. And now for uh, me, it is a really, I feel very fortunate that I can say I've achieved like my dream job. And I've realized my dream um, because I don't think many people get to say that or our industry like a lot of people are doing a job just for a job. I get to do a job that I love to do and love everything about it. And I finally doing what I've always wanted to do. So I did have this, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Well, what do you do once you've reached what you think is the top? Do you you just have to kind of um, reassess and set new goals and then maybe see where you want other aspects of your life to go. And, you know, also not realize that you're, you're not defined by your job as well. So what outside of my job now can I aspire to be or do? But in terms of performing, I think maybe I would like to go into a completely different side of things. Like maybe now get into more of clowning or the comedy side of it where it's not so physically demanding or more like character work. So maybe this is the peak of like physically like hard training. This bateau act is like for my athletic abilities where I see myself at the top. But now I can explore, okay, character work or some other things and then set new goals for that if I want to keep performing. Mm-hmm. And then have a YouTube channel. Exactly. Well, if all else fails, I'll go back to cooking with my mom for our YouTube channels. <laughs> that was my COVID project. <laughs> That's super cool. Fun. 
super fun. Yeah. But there is a, you know, there is an end date, right? And and that's why well, exactly. like, I always think that it must be psychologically difficult to have spent all your life using your physical body for work, right? Yeah. And then at some point transitioning to something else. And I think that how you do that, what you do, all that, it just must be a big change, right? Because mm-hmm. it's such a different, it's not just about going, well, I'm going to work in this office and I'm gonna, now I'm going to work in that office. It's a literal yeah. lifestyle shift and, yeah, yeah, a finishing of an age, right? Well, I think that the pandemic kind of helped a lot of people with, well, help, I don't know if helped is the right word, but. Um, Made people face it. Exactly, which no one wanted to face it. And then all of a sudden they were forced to. And you just like I went through my midlife crisis kind of during the pandemic of wait, wait, what am I? Who am I? Who am I? What am I doing now? If I can't perform, like you, I define myself from my job. Like, Elisa, you're a performer. And then that was taken away from me. And I had no idea what, what, what I have to offer and what else I can do. It was really hard to, in the beginning, but then realize there's more to life and there's more to you. Yeah. So I don't know. It was just, uh, it's an interesting thing. And I think that the art, sometimes our industry is good with it and not good with it, but helping um, artists have like, have that conversation earlier on in your career, or I think that it should be something that is discussed in this industry where you, okay, you guys are all performers now, but start to think, what would you like to do after? Like, just so you start, so it's not all of a sudden, okay, now you can't work. Now I realize I have to come up with a whole new career. It's like, if you're starting, like, as you're starting your career, start thinking about everything, what you can do after. Maybe you like stage management side of things, or you like coaching, or you know, just start thinking of your options um, while you're still in it so that when you're stopped, it's not just everything comes crashing down and then you're um, left having a crisis. Yeah. But I think what you said is like, it's it's more to you. I really like, there's more to you than just that you perform. I really, I really like that because I think that's something that most performers always need to remember that it, it is a large part of your life, but it's so important. Oh, well, I was thinking that it's also kind of tricky because it has to be right now, as I did, not a performer, but it has to be a self-realization of this process. Because once you get to a performing point, you're no longer training. You're not there. You no longer have a real mentor or someone guiding you through like when you Mm -hmm. start training as a kid. So you don't have that mentorship, but also it's not the role of the coach. It's not the role of PMED. It's not the role of the stage manager to tell you, what do you want to do when you grow up? (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's kind of a gray area. Like who kind of. Who takes you that? Who takes you, leads you through that? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, actually, our artistic director had said to us in one meeting that we had, one tapis rouge. And I think, I think everyone kind of came to this. Uh, conclusion or realization after the pandemic. I think I, you learned, we all learned a lot during the pandemic, but he made a point to just kind of say to all the artists in a meeting, hey guys, you should think, don't forget to think about, you know, what you want to do after. And it's important to start to consider this and see where you want to go. So I guess the artistic director 
if could kind of help, but yeah, it's kind of also, I think it's just something of getting older and you learn by like, you learn at a necessity like a life kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's an interesting, uh, interesting thing. I think you've already said what your favorite thing about the job was just doing better, but what is your favorite <laughs> thing about being a, a performer generally? I'm so bad at choosing one thing. I always like, I don't even have a favorite food, but I guess just the, the rush that you get from performing, the feeling of just being on stage and being able to like, being able to fly around as a job. Like that's what I love to do. I love to be in. The I mean, air. it's pretty cool. I just get to fly around. It's my job. I get paid right. For it. Like, that's what I, like I love climbing on things and like moving around. And when I get to get paid to do it, that's just like bonus. So yeah, just loving what I do and being able to make a career out of it. Like that's yeah, just the feeling that you get from performing. Like what you feed off from the audience's reaction. So, yeah. The not so nice question, like the industry can be rough. What are, what's something that you would like to change either about the industry or your specific job? <laughs> yes, I um, know it's hard. <laughs> well, the thing is, I think every industry has its ups and downs. And so no matter where you work, everyone's going to say, oh, well, we have this in our industry and this is a problem. So there's always an issue. And I always try to look on the bright side or always, I don't like to focus a lot on the negative, even though it's there, but it doesn't prevent me from, it's not so bad that I can't do my job, but there's, there's always some downsides to working also in like big companies or there's like nepotism or you see sometimes people maybe are promoted and work their way up uh, in a specific job because of seniority. They've been there for so long. So someone that is new who maybe has more experience wouldn't get the job because this other person has been there and put in the hours. But just putting in the hours doesn't mean that you're actually qualified for a job. You know, that's one thing that can be a little bit frustrating sometimes is when people get promoted to positions that they maybe aren't fully qualified for, or there was someone that was more qualified, but hadn't put in the hours or the time, or they were still new in the company. I just find that that's a little bit frustrating, but I mean, that kind of, I feel like can be said in almost any industry. Yeah. Like yeah. that's just, that's also just part of that's life. That's just life. <laughs> so I mean, Humans. yeah, there are downsides to every job. I could talk about even just the pain that sucks sometimes, yeah. <laughs> but you know, yeah, the whole negative aspect, just, you have to learn how to work around and through these things that bother you and frustrate you. And it's how you manage yourself mm. with these annoying things. That's I mean, you definitely make it sound like it's worth it because at the end of the day, you just get to play around. So. Well, you see, it can't be all that bad because <laughs> I'm still here and I'm still jumping around. So, <laughs> you know, it's not always rainbows and sunshine, but for the most part it is. And as long as like the pros outweigh the cons, then you're winning. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally appreciate that. Elisa, thank you so much for um, spending time with us on Theatre Art Life podcast. Really appreciate hearing your insight into your life and your love of the Bateau Act. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. If anyone was to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way to to get, you got an Instagram that you could be following? I have Instagram and that's about it. I'm not really big on uh, the whole TikTok and uh, YouTube. Yeah, no, Instagram. <laughs> and what, how do we find you on Instagram? It's my first name, Elisa underscore Toro. So E-L-I-S-A underscore T-A-U-R-O. Amazing. Yeah. And maybe they'll be lucky to find your, your, your reels that are funny. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do post a lot of bloopers or a lot of, playing around uh, that's it sometimes. i'm gonna i'm gonna go follow you on instagram right now i'm, I'm up for it i'm up for One it. more follower yes <laughs> amazing right. thank you so much for your time elisa thank you so much theater at life is a global media site for entertainment memberships start at only 38 us dollars per year you can have unlimited access to our daily published articles including entertainment news and the ratings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.